This is episode 106 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are When Homes and Buildings Burn During the Next Solar Superstorm, Stealth Cooking When the SHTF, and Four Home Defense Layers That Will Save Lives. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. I hope you had a a great weekend uh, starting another week of podcast here on the Prepper Website Podcast. So let's go ahead and get into it. Our first one comes to us from ModernSurvivalBlog.com. Again, that's ModernSurvivalBlog.com. And this one, uh, I thought it was an interesting one. Uh, Ken put it out, when homes and buildings burn during the next solar superstorm. And uh, one of the reasons why I went back to to this one, it was posted on July 6th, uh, because we had um, a lot of solar storms hitting us uh, this weekend. And uh, not enough to, uh, or at least not enough for most people to take notice, but it did affect like GPS and some communications, maybe not so much in the United States. Uh, I'll get to that in just a minute, but let's go ahead and start reading this one. One thing is for certain, there will be another solar flare superstorm similar or worse than the Carrington event of 1859. One day again, there will be an exceptionally mammoth explosion on the sun, a solar flare producing a colossal cloud of charged electromagnetic particles headed directly towards the Earth. Also known as a CME, or coronal mass ejection, the streaming mass of particles from a Carrington-sized event will crash into the Earth's magnetic field and likely, abruptly, end our way of life as we know it today. How? By knocking out our lifeblood, electricity, and electrical or electronic systems. For how long? Let's put it this way. The power won't come back online like your typical power outage. It can take months, a year, longer, or never. Why would it take so long? Because the portable—I'm sorry—because the probable damage to electric power systems and electronic infrastructure would necess- necessitate repair and replacement to such an extreme extent that the task would be seemingly impossible with electricity, never mind without. It doesn't take much logic and reasoning ability to know that countless millions or billions won't make it. And those that do will be living in a very different world afterwards. We have written numerous articles and have had lots of discussion here surrounding the potential devastation, devastating aspects of the long-term loss of electricity and electronic infrastructure as a result of EMP or electromagnetic pulse, solar flares, and CME. This time, though, I am going to highlight yet another potentially devastating aspect of a solar super flare and subsequent superstorm, fire. When you research what happened 158 years ago during a time that seems prehistoric compared to today's modern technology, it is a bit eye-opening to say the least to interpolate what would likely happen today given what happened back then. The Earth's invisible sphere of magnetism surrounding our planet began to shudder, shake, and oscillate. People down below couldn't feel it, but they could see it. The sky lit up in greens, orange, and red as charged particles slammed through. Today we call it a geomagnetic storm. Rapidly moving fields, or this is a quote, rapidly moving fields induced enormous electric currents that surged through telegraph lines and disrupted communications, end quote. Uh, 
Quote, the telegraph systems in Europe and North America were brought down with some reports of electrocution and fire spawned around their lines, end quote. Another quote. Actually, there's a couple of quotes here. Many telegraph lines across North America were rendered inoperable. A telegraph manager in Pittsburgh reported that the resulting currents flowing through the wires were so powerful that platinum contacts were in danger of melting and streams of fire were pouring forth from the circuits. Some, and then another quote, some telegraph stations that used chemicals to mark sheets reported that powerful surges caused telegraph paper to combust, end quote. Dr. Peter Vincent Pry reports, the Carrington event was a worldwide phenomenon, causing fires in telegraph stations and forest fires from telegraph lines bursting into flames on several continents. Fortunately, in the horse and buggy days of 1859, civilization did not depend upon electrical systems. Another Carrington event today would likely collapse electric grids and infrastructures all over the planet. Billions of lives would be at risk, Price says. Scientists estimate that geomagnetic superstorms occur about every 100 to 150 years. The Earth is probably overdue to encounter another Carrington event. Given the fires caused by the event 150 plus years ago, can you imagine the increased potential for fire in today's modern world? How would fires happen? During a Carrington event, CME, for a period of time, Earth's magnetic field would contort and convulse while inducing electrical currents onto our power grids and electric infrastructure, destroying them, perhaps permanently. A conductor, a magnetic field, and motion is all that's needed to conduct electricity. With the entire Earth's magnetic field in motion, and given the incalculable amount of wire, coils, conductors, electrical transformers here on Earth, there would surely be huge amounts of heat generated as strong currents flowed through, some of it setting fire to surrounding homes and buildings. I haven't heard this aspect talked about much, the fire, with regards to a long-lasting and powerful CME. However, it seems likely to me. It's bad enough that we would be sent back to the Stone Age without our electric systems, but then to have the potential of fire burning through what's left of our infrastructure does not paint a pretty picture. What can we do about it? Regarding the fire aspect to this potential life-altering apocalypse, keep a number of ABC fire extinguishers in your home. You should anyway. And there's a link there to Amazon for uh, these fire extinguishers. Depending on where you live and when your home or building was built, modern electrical codes should certainly help contain any potential electrical fire within the home's electrical infrastructure. That said, there are plenty of older structures out there with questionable electrics. Additionally, some home appliances have motors which contain wound, wound, sorry, wound coiled electrical wires conductors which may be susceptible to heat and fire. Even if they're not plugged in, there will be currents flowing in these devices during a major superstorm CME. Do you live in a tightly developed neighborhood where if the home next door catches on fire, then yours probably will too? Do you have a bug out plan for that? Are all of your preparedness eggs in one basket in your home? So uh, Ken has a couple of sources here, uh, like history.com, science.nasa.gov, Peter Vincent Price, Solar Superstorm, uh, that you can link to. And then there's like 70 comments here. And so, again, that's uh, always something you want to go to. So when um, people start talking about kind of freaking out because of 
uh, solar storms and and you know solar flares and all that kind of stuff. And even when um, stuff like uh, Yellowstone recently was going off, and people were like, you know, is Yellowstone really ready to go? Uh, ready to go off? And uh, I go over to suspiciousobservers.com on YouTube. Now he looks at he tracks that. Uh, he's very even keeled. I think I've talked about him before. He's very even keeled. Uh, he he's not sensational. He doesn't. He's not trying to get people to read his articles or anything like that. So um, you know, he gives it to you. Uh, he gives you the truth, and so you can kind of feel. Even when people are out there, like Yellowstone was was uh, ramping up, he was like, "Don't don't worry about the fear mongers," you know. So I go over there whenever I start seeing those kinds of things to see what he's saying about them. Uh, there are some, and like I said, he does tell it to you like it is. Um, he posts uh, a video every morning, like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, and it's uh, usually about 4 or 5 minutes long, and he talks about 2 and a half to 3 minutes worth of that time. And so he looks at the sun, he looks if there's anything going on, uh, if there's any uh, corona holes that are facing the earth. Uh, and then if they go off, there's a couple, you know, uh, there's... A couple of days worth of time depending on how fast it's traveling uh, that we would know and that we would have notice and so there's a lot of different uh, sources that he uses and a lot of different uh, tools that he uses and you can go uh, I'm going to link to him in the show notes but you uh, you can go to his uh, if you go to any of his videos and you do the you look at the description there's tons of uh, articles and tons of uh, websites that you can go to if you wanted to do more research. Now, some of it I'll be, I'll admit is way beyond above my head, and I, I really don't care to look that deep into it. You know, uh, in, into uh, there's so many things going on, other things that are you know important uh, that I don't I don't sit there and read all everything that he puts out. Uh, but it is a lot of good information. I subscribe to his, or I I bought his uh, his app. I think it's three ninety nine, and you can link to it from his videos. But for instance, um, let me just give you a couple of the things that went off. So uh, July 14th, uh, so when I'm reading this, I record in the evening. Y'all know that uh, it's July 16th. Um, so July 14th, there was an alert sent out. And I have a, the alerts uh, set up only for the critical ones. But uh, So the critical one on July 14th was Space Weather Watch is Enhanced. Then July 15th, uh, Corona Holes Indicate an Increased Chance of M6 Plus Earthquakes. And then July 16th, geomagnetic, geomagnetic storm is taking place. And then July 16th at 3.37 a.m., geomagnetic health risk is elevated, cardiac and psych psychiatric. And so he does mention that on the video for uh, this morning that uh, and somehow, the, I guess, the geomagnetic um, storms do affect people, the, the, the health aspect of it. And so there's more information that you can look into that. And uh, if there's earthquake uh, alerts and stuff like that, you can get to them on, on that app. But that's the, the Suspicious Observer app. Uh, I highly recommend, like, if you're going to buy an app and, and you're going to want to, uh, to have alerts. I had an app at one time that I paid for, and um, I guess it was a monthly uh, or yearly subscription that I bought into. And uh, you were always, you know, getting uh, text messages that, uh, solar flares were going off, but it was small ones that wouldn't amount to anything. So uh, you definitely want to be aware of the big one because, you know, like I said, you'll have a couple of days worth of uh, of uh, knowledge that, you know, one has been set off 
And if that gives you time to head out and go where you need to go to, well, um, you know, that's good. And like everybody else, um, you know, is probably going to be doing that too. Hopefully you have the heads up so you can make uh, moves really, really quick. So, hey, I uh, I wanted to say, I'm going to go ahead and go into the next article, but I wanted to say too, uh, we did receive another review on uh, iTunes. I really do appreciate it. Tim left uh, an iTunes review. Uh, Todd brings together a great variety of information from preparedness articles from many other websites with permission, in, in parentheses, so you will get the best of each week's articles. His personal comments add extra insight that I find valuable too. So thanks, Tim, for, uh, for doing that. Uh, it's always helpful when you get uh, in, uh, a review on iTunes because that, again, moves you up in the algorithms and people are more likely to, to find you when they start searching for a podcast. So the next article is uh, is one of mine. It's coming from edthatmatters.com. Uh, I'm gonna so it's a little self-serving because I want to point you to and remind you of the the Sun Oven uh, webinar that we have on Tuesday evening at seven o'clock Central Time. If you haven't registered for that, you're, there's still uh, there's still space. There's still opportunity. I'm gonna link to it in the show notes, uh, and you can also link to it on this article. And then on Prepper website, we have the links there. But, uh, you know, just it's an hour of your time and uh, hearing a little bit about how you can use the sun and use the sun to cook and and not just cook, but there's so many other things. I did receive a sun oven uh, Friday, late Friday, and took a couple of pictures of it. I will include um, I'll include some of the picture or a picture uh, with me with the sun oven. I got to tell you, I've done a review on another uh, solar oven and uh, the, the sun oven is very very sturdy the uh, the glass that um, I guess that that it reflects on is it's uh, it's glass it's not plastic and then the other thing is um, the other one that I did the solar review uh, solar oven review that I did the 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 cone or the reflective piece was a pain in the butt to kind of put into place. I mean, you could do it, but you, I kind of struggled with it a little bit. There's these uh, really tight springs that you would do. The the one for solar uh, for the sun oven is, um, I mean, it's all tied in together, so it just kind of folds out, and uh, it just falls into place. It's really nice, and then it all folds up, and it it's compact, and it has a handle. Um, so, uh, you know, it's uh, it, it looks very, very sturdy, um, very sturdy, and comes with a lot of good stuff. This article that I wrote, Stealth Cooking When the SHTF, is actually a fictional uh, account that I kind of wrote. I think sometimes writing fiction kind of helps nail down some some things, but uh, just kind of went the long way around it. So uh, here we go. Uh, again, uh, Stealth Cooking When the SHTF, coming from Ed That Matters. The sun was starting to set and the air became cooler as Nick continued pushing himself forward step by step. He lost track of the days, but he knew that it had been more than he wanted to count since the grid went down and he was left stranded at the airport 670 miles from home. He recalled how he was standing at the United Airlines ticket counter to check in when the lights went out. Emergency lights kicked on, but the light from the big windows helped tremendously. At first, the terminal personnel kept people calm, brought out snacks and blankets, and assured everyone that the electricity would come back on and in the terminal and their flights would resume. Halfway through the next day, Nick observed the airline and terminal workers talking really fast and acting suspiciously. Nick walked over to an older, uh, older terminal employee and asked what was going on. 
The employee was start staring off into space, and Nick had to ask him twice. Hey, buddy, are you okay? He asked. Without looking at him, the employee said, It's the apocalypse. The lights are off everywhere. What do you mean everywhere? Nick said. All over the U.S., the employee replied. What? How? Is it coming back on? Nick was starting to get a little frazzled. The employee finally turned to him. I don't know much. One of the guys in the tower has a ham radio. He tied it into one of the antennas and is getting reports from all over. It started on the west coast and cascaded towards the east really quickly. Government channels are asking ham operators to tell people to stay calm, he said. That means that it is bad, Nick whispered to himself. Yeah, real bad, the employee responded in a similar whisper. As Nick tried to take in this new information, he noticed that the airline employees started to thin out. Where once there were many employees trying to meet the needs of passengers, now there were only a few handfuls. They know the lights aren't coming back on and they are leaving to go home, he thought to himself. I need to get home too. I don't even know how far away from home I am or in which direction I really need to travel. He opened up his backpack, removed some business files, and grabbed some snacks and water bottles that were still left over from the snacks provided by the terminal. He turned to the older employee that had provided the information before and asked if he was going to leave the terminal. I'm waiting for my grandson to pick me up, if he ever comes, he said. Out of the corner of his eye, he noticed one of the United Airlines ticket counter employees emerge from the back room with her purse. He rushed over to her and asked her if she was leaving. She tried to avoid him, but he was persistent. Look, I need to get home to my kids, she said. I understand, me too. Can I get a ride with you as far as you're going? I don't even know where I am, he said. I don't think so, the woman responded with a lowered voice. Look, I just need a lift as far as you are going. I won't be any trouble, but if you don't let me go, I'll make a big scene here, he replied. Fine, come on, but you better not give me any trouble. I have mace, she said. Jennifer didn't say much in the car. She looked very worried. Nick noticed that although the lights were out, people were still driving their vehicles. I guess people will drive to they run out of gas, he thought to himself. Jennifer exited the freeway and stopped at a convenience store. Look, I held up my end of the bargain. Now please, get out without giving me any trouble, she asked. Nick grabbed his backpack, looked her in the eye, and said, Thank you. Jennifer looked back sheepishly and responded, Good luck getting back home. From where he stood, Nick could see a truck stop on the other side of the freeway. He walked over there and noticed a big rig that was idling with the driver deep in thought as he studied a map. Nick jumped up on the rig and asked the driver where he was going and if he could get a lift. He didn't mean to, but when he did that, he scared the driver and made him throw the map in the air. I apologize for startling you, Nick said. I'm just trying to get home to my family. The driver seemed to look him over for a few moments and reasoned that he, he wasn't a threat. He then said, go ahead and get in. It will be safer with two of us traveling. I'm trying to get home to my family too. My name is Ed. What is your name? He asked. My name is Nick, he responded. Nick listened as Ed recounted what he knew from truck drivers sharing information over the CB radio. Many drivers were abandoning their routes and heading back home. Not knowing if diesel would be available, they didn't want to be left stranded somewhere. Ed decided to take some back roads as a shortcut. After taking a curve in the road, he was forced to come to an immediate stop as a trailer was blocking the whole road. What the heck is this? Ed asked out loud. Just then, four individuals came out from the surrounding trees. Two had military-looking rifles and two held up pistols. One of the men with a pistol jumped up on the driver's side and pointed the pistol at Ed's head. He said through the window, We don't want to hurt you. We just need your diesel. We're trying to get home to our families. 
We are trying to get home to our families too, Ed responded. Why don't you guys jump in and we can help each other out? The man with the pistol became agitated. I don't think so. Get out now or I'll start shooting. Ed looked at Nick. I guess we don't have a choice. Those rifles will go right through this cab, he said. Ed opened the door and started getting out. Nick grabbed his backpack and the map that was on the dashboard with the other man, man with the pistol opened his door while the other man with the pistol opened his door for him. One man with the pistol held them on the side of the road while the others moved the trailer. They then got in the truck and started down the road. I'm sorry about your truck, Ed, said Nick. If people are that desperate now, society has the potential for really going downhill fast, Ed replied. They started walking. The next day, Ed complained about not feeling well. They stopped under the shade of a tree to rest. Nick gave him a drink from a water bottle that he had in his backpack, but Ed just threw it up. A few minutes later, he complained about a pain in his left arm. He started grabbing his chest. He started breathing heavy. He reached out for Nick's hand and then collapsed. Ed, Ed, Nick yelled. Ed was unresponsive. In fact, it looked like he wasn't breathing. Nick took his pulse. There wasn't a heartbeat. Nick laid Ed down flat and started CPR. He continued for what seemed to be an eternity with no response from Ed's body. Nick was fatigued, very fatigued. Nick looked around. What was he going to do with Ed's body? He was out in the middle of nowhere. He hadn't seen anyone on the back road in a day, and he had nothing to dig with. There weren't even any rocks that he could pile over his body. Nick was tired, frustrated, sad, and at his wit's end. He wanted to close his eyes and wake up from the nightmare. He decided to close his eyes for a few minutes. He woke up hours later. Coming out of his deep sleep, he jumped when he saw Ed's body laying next to him. In the heat, the body was already showing signs of decomposition. Nick got up quickly and started walking again. That was all days ago. Now he was really tired. His feet ached. He was thirsty. And the hunger pains in his stomach were something he had never experienced. He was about to stop and rest when the smell of something wonderful reached his nostrils. What is that smell, he thought to himself. It smells like a barbecue. His eyes widened as he started to look around to see if he could pinpoint where the smell was coming from. Tired, desperate, and hungry, Nick was going to eat no matter what or who stood in his way. Forgive me, I don't want to be a fearmonger, but I do want to try and portray the human condition when men become desperate and hungry. One facet of surviving the SHTF is keeping a low profile and maintaining OPSEC, including cooking. But it's hard to cook and not give off the aroma of what you're cooking. One way around this is to use a solar oven. There are so many advantages to a solar oven. Did you know you can't burn food? Did, did you know that you could cook almost anything in a solar oven? Did you know that you could set the solar oven to cook and then leave it, accomplishing other chores and jobs around your home? And the only disadvantage of the solar oven is that you need the sun. The solar oven will even work in winter as long as you have the sun. The good news is that there is some really good education on what solar ovens can do. I'm proud to partner with Sun Oven to bring an educational class to you free of charge. In this class, you will learn 13 ways the sun can be used around to used year-round to give you the peace of mind of knowing you are better prepared for an emergency, the fundamentals of how to reap the maximum benefit of this amazing free resource, how to use the sun to hard-boil freshly laid eggs and make them easy to peel, why food cooked with the sun does not burn or dry out, ways to dry herbs that increase the nutrients without breaking down the essential oils and vitamins, and ways to use a sun oven that go way beyond just cooking, like pasteurizing water, dehydrating, and sterilizing potting soil. So I give the information there. Uh, the date is Tuesday, July 18th. 
7 p.m. Central Time. It's a 60-minute uh, live um, a live webinar with questions and answers uh, a little bit later on after that. And uh, there's no cost. It's free. So yeah, hour out of your time so you can learn a little bit about solar ovens and cooking with the sun and all the other different things that the sun can do. And so uh, register for that class. I hope that you'll be there. Definitely, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, been been communicating with Paul for a couple of weeks now. He's a seems like a really nice guy, really good guy. And uh, looking for again, like I said, looking forward to the to the webinar. Um, you know, one thing that I, that I did when I did have my uh, when I did review the other solar oven, I did notice that it it did not smell. So uh, you know, it's easy uh, when you're when you're barbecuing. You know, especially here in the neighborhood, right? I mean, it's really easy to know that someone is barbecuing. You're like, you go outside, and like, wow. Uh, and so, you know, smell will travel for a long time. But when I cooked in that solar oven, I did beans and rice, the traditional, you know, everything that you, uh, the, the type of long term food storage that anyone would have. So I did uh, beans and rice, put that in the, uh, the solar oven and uh, cooked it up, just left it out, day, out there all day long. And uh, it worked out. So um, I think the sun oven would be even would work even even better Um from what I understand, even with a, on a cloudy day, it will work. It just takes a little bit longer, but you do need the sun. So, um, you you know, I, I'm not an expert on the sun oven, but definitely that is uh, one thing that I, I remember reading. And uh, maybe if not, Paul will go ahead and clear that up for us on Tuesday evening. So, um, there was 22 shares on this article, so I was, I'm surprised. People are looking into it. People are, uh, you know, sharing that information out. So uh, hopefully that fictional story kind of helps maybe put some put some things into perspective because when people are desperate and hungry, you know what will they do and uh, how will you respond? All right, so let's go ahead and go to our last article of the podcast. This uh, article comes to us from SmartPrepperGear.com. The article title is Four Home Defense Layers That Will Save Lives." I really believe that this is something important to do. If you are a homeowner, if you are, uh, even if you live in an apartment or you're a renter or whatever, there are definitely, uh, if you're a homeowner, there's some things that you can do uh, that renters can't do. But, uh, and, you know, uh, definitely if you live in an apartment. But I do believe that everyone who, you know, uh, regardless of where you're li living, there are some of these things that you can put in place, some of these things that you should put in place. Because I think that as things start to go downhill, uh, the economy starts, uh, you know, pooping out and people, again, start becoming desperate. People are looking for, you know, fast ways to make money. Um, you know, there's you you need to put a little bit invest a little bit of time uh putting layers and i like that term uh, putting layers around your home and building up the layers and so um let's read this article and then i will uh, come back and just say a few words on this one as well home is where the heart is as the saying goes in the home we have people that we love and property that we have acquired by the wealth we have worked for so it is very important for us to have protection for them. In this post, we are going to discuss the home defense layers that save lives. There are a few crimes that can happen in the home. Such crimes include property and violent crimes. These crimes can be broken down into categories including burglaries, home invasions, murder, etc. However, by having home defense layers, you can greatly reduce the risk of those crimes. In this post, we are going to talk about how to prevent burglaries and home invasions. There tends to be a lot of confusion between the differences. So let's break that down. 
A crime is considered a burglary when there is an unlawful entry into a building with intent to commit a crime, especially theft. Typically, it is someone that has been eyeing the possessions that you have and track your whereabouts. Shockingly, a lot of burglaries are committed by people close to the victim. A crime can be considered a home invasion if a person enters or remains unlawfully in a dwelling with the intent of committing a violent crime. A person knowingly enters the dwelling place or of another with the knowledge of expectation that someone, one or more persons, is present and the unauthorized entering of an inhabited dwelling or other structure belonging to another with the intent to use force or violence upon the person of another. The burglaries are typically committed during the day with an ex expectation that the household members are not present. They don't intend to commit any violent crime, although they can turn violent if someone is present. The intruder's main motive is on stealing items. A small percentage of burglaries also happen at night. They tend to be dumb criminals or junkies looking for medications. However, smart criminals have already scoped your house and can determine when you are home. They tend to pick the most appealing house without any security or defense. Other criminals tend to be friends with the victims. Home invasions are typically done at night. The intruders have an expectancy that the resident is home. Their intentions are not really to steal anything but to commit a violent crime like murder. Home invasions are typically committed by someone that the victim knows. They tend to be motivated by emotions or revenge. FBI and BJS de data on burglaries and home invasions. In 2015, there were an estimated 2,904,570 bur burglaries. And that BJS is uh, Bureau of Justice Statistics. 22 out of every 1,000 homes are burglarized. By category, 57.9% of burglaries involved forcible entry. Victims of burglary offenses suf suffered an estimated $3.6 billion in property losses in 2015. In 2015, 102 people lost their lives during a burglary. 27% of burglaries were conducted when occupants were present. 26% of burglaries involve a violent crime. Most commonly stolen items during a burglary are cash, laptops, iPads, smartphones, etc. Electronics, gold, jewelry, watches, medications firearms, tools, household goods, liquor, identification. Most of the commonly stolen items can be found in bedrooms and in the living room, so intruders are going to go directly to those rooms. Burglaries typically last about 8 to 10 minutes. When they tend to linger, the possibility of violence increases. So you want the burglars to get in and out as quick as possible. You can do this by placing decoys around in the room to make them believe that they have hit the jackpot. The second most popular room for burglaries are in the garage and the kitchen. Knowing this, you should place your valuables in the rooms they are less likely to be in. I did a video before on how to hide valuables in the house that can help you with this. And there is a link to that um, video that he is describing. Now, home invasions are a lower percentage of burglaries. However, there is still the possibility of being a victim. Either if it is a burglary or home invasion you still need to have some sort of defense system to protect your family and property. It's not really realistic to build a fortress or castle that is impenetrable. That would be crazy expensive and just ridiculous. Besides, it would draw more attention if there is ever a collapse type scenario. You just need to make your home less inviting than the other options. There is a common saying among campers and hikers about bear attacks. The saying is, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just need to outrun you. The concept is true in this case as well. 
you will never be able to fully protect yourself from intruders. However, you can make it less likely that they target your residence. If the intruder is desperate or motivated enough, they will find a way to break in your home. In order to become less of a risk, you need to have four home defense layers. Layer number one is the de deterrence layer. Deterrence is making your home not look like an easy target. Intruders look for easy and fast targets. If your house looks like it will be a lot of work, then they will move on to the next potential target. Not only do you want to appear as a harder target, but also more intimidating. Having a barking dog is a good early warning system. They can also be very intimidating for criminals who may be scoping your residence. Most intruders are fearful of police, dog, police dogs, and firearms. Examples of deterrence include exterior lights, alarm system signs, barking dogs, cameras, etc. I have personally placed security stickers on my windows to deter intruders. My residence also has Arlo security cameras to deter intruders and also act as an early warning system. You also want to limit the information that you are communicating about yourself. Smart bad guys typically do the research about you before coming over unannounced. They look for empty parking lots. It tells them that no one, uh, maybe, maybe driveways maybe is, the, is what they're trying to say there. It tells them that no one is home. Open blinds will give them a bird's eye view of what can be found inside. A dog bowl outside your door could communicate that you have a dog. The bigger the bowl, the more intimidating. The second layer is the fortification layer. The second layer of defense is the fortification layer. Each layer acts as a roadblock to the intruder. If you fail to have a complete deterrence layer, layer, then the next step up to the intruder is the fortification layer. The fortification layer is, a des is designed to make it physically difficult to get into your house. The harder it is to get into your house, the less likely they will continue. However, if the intruder is highly motivated, they will find a way in. There are some tools that you can use to fortify your home. Such fortification includes garage with multiple locks, window security film, solid reinforced doors, deadbolt with a strike plate, multiple door locks, keyed window locks, etc. Along with some of those options, I use the master lock dual function security bar to help fortify my door. This tool can withstand 350 pounds of force. Again, it isn't guaranteed to keep someone out, but it will slow them down. This is not really used for when I am gone, but when I am home. If I can slow down an intruder from coming into my house, then it will give me time to protect myself and call for assistance. Third uh, uh, layer is the early warning layer. If your previous two layers have failed, then the early warning layer kicks in. Ideally, this will warn you before you reach your fortification layer. However, it isn't likely that you will be watching a security camera all day. But you should have some early warning system inside of your residence as well. That way, if you're in another room of your house, then you will know someone is inside. Now, this should be audible to the intruder as well. You will want to have something that emits off a loud sound to possibly scare them off. For this, I use the Canary All-in-One Home Security Device. This device not only monitors movement inside of your house, but it has a loud ace alarm system or alar alarm siren. This is guaranteed to shake up an intruder to make them think twice before proceeding. It also has a built-in access to local authorities. You can set it so that it automatically contacts the authorities so that you can focus on protecting yourself. Now, some may disagree about home security cameras being used as a deterrent. I believe that to an extent. However, if someone is looking to rob you, then a camera is going to be too much work to try and avoid. 
The camera can also be used as an early warning system. This can be done by setting it up to send notifications whenever it records movement. With the Arlo security camera system, you can set it up to a smart home hub like Wink. It comes along with a smartphone application where you can turn notifications on and off. Another great tool to add as an early warning system is a perimeter alarm system. You can set it up by zones. Once someone or something crosses that zone, then it emits an alarm. This will possibly scare off a potential intruder and act as an early warning to you. The final layer is the confrontation layer. The confrontation layer is when you are personally interacting with a threat in some way. If an intruder has reached this layer, then your three other layers have failed. If an intruder is in your house, then you have already lost the fight. This is especially true if you don't have an early warning system to alert you. You won't have time to protect your, yourself or your family. The confrontation layer can have multiple options. It doesn't always mean you have to use lethal force. The confrontation could mean telling a suspicious person to piss off or shining a light in their face. However, the likelihood that those methods will work are slim. You may be forced to lethally defend yourself. That is why it is important to understand when you legally defend yourself. On top of that, you would want to know what to do after shooting someone in self-defense. There's a link there for that. To help you with this, I would recommend having some sort of CCW insurance like United States Concealed Carry Association. They will have you covered when it comes to legal representation in a self-defense case. However, they also provide some really great legal advice and training that will help you on that dreaded day. Having the three other layers of home defense help you not be caught by surprise. They give you the opportunity to prepare for the situation if it escalates to a confrontation. Not only should you utilize your home defense weapons, but you should have a safe room. The safe room should have a reinforced door and the ability to fortify it quickly. You can fortify the room by placing dressers, shelves, and other heavy items in front of them. Now, I wouldn't recommend clearing the rooms in your house, especially if you haven't been trained. Most burglaries and home invasions are conducted by three or four people. This is why you should call reinforcements to back you up and even the score. However, I am not against protecting yourself at all. I'm just saying be smart about it. Keep your guns close in case you have to pull the trigger. In the meantime, you and your family should be in a safe room until the backup has arrived. You and your family should already know beforehand where to go in the case of home invasion. However, the safe room is not guaranteed to protect you. It will simply slow down the intruder. When it comes to layering your home defense, I recommend having two or three methods of each layer. It acts as a spider web. The tougher the layers, then the harder it is to get through it. On top of that, a lot of the layers overlap with each other. Like I mentioned before, the camera system acts not only as a deterrent but as an early warning system as well. By overlapping the layers, you are making it harder for the intruder. Altogether, these would be my tips on four home defense layers that will save lives. Feel free to leave any feedback or suggestions below. Your feedback helps the community prepare the smart way now so that it can thrive later on. So, uh, you know, Good article there with the idea of the different layers and things that you can put in place. Um, you know, I don't agree with the statement that if you uh, if they've made it past the the other three layers, you've lost the fight because you haven't lost the fight yet. Um, but you definitely, if you can avoid that, make it harder uh, for someone to get through. Then yes, I you know that's that's the goal. That's the point is you want to put these layers in place so that people will you know not you know go somewhere else that they'll they'll look at another target and they'll say this this isn't something that's worth it uh you know there's too many things here that can that can go bad 
And so that that's the key when we're talking about layers and the different things that you can do. I think this is interesting because, you know, there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, home alarm systems, I know in the past you used to, you know, you have to, had to call one of the big alarm companies and you paid a monthly fee. Um, uh, nowadays, you can go to Amazon and you can buy a system um, like he was talking about here. I haven't ever looked at this Arlo one that he was, uh, the Canary All-in-One Home Security Defense System. Uh, and uh, I haven't looked at Arlo security cameras. But they're easy. The, the, I had a, sec- a camera set up once, and, and it's very easy to put together. It's just it's not hard at all. And the uh, the home, the do-it-yourself home alarm systems. Uh, you know, one of the things about monitoring, um, you can have that put in place. But by the time the cops get there, I mean, it's, you know, uh, there was times where we got called on false alarms, and I got to the house way before the cops did. So... Anyway, uh, something to think about. You really, in, instead, you want something that's going to make a lot of noise and kind of, you know, have people run off and, and, and move off and uh, go there. And if you have an app that alerts you, even if you have like a, a hidden camera in your home that's take, that can take pictures and kind of alert you. I've seen some of those on Facebook. Um, some, you know, like they look like a, a small little device or whatever. and You just kind of set it up and uh, it's on your Wi-Fi. And when it detects movement, it sends you a notification and you can even bring it up on your app and uh, you can see what's going on in the house. Um, that would be, you know, how awesome would that be is if, if someone was there uh, and you had video of it and you were able to, uh, you know, give that to the cops. Hopefully it doesn't get to that point. That wouldn't be awesome for them to get into your house. But I'm just saying how awesome would it be to have the equipment to be able to do that, you know. Um, it's it's so cost effective now. It's not anything like uh, it has been in the past. So go check that out because there are some links in this one that you might want to uh, you might want to uh, click through to, to at smartpreppergear.com. All right, well uh, that's uh, podcast another podcast uh, uh, in the books there. Thanks so much for being a part of the Prepper Website podcast. Hey, remember you can go over to prepperwebsite.com. And you can hit a whole lot of different preparedness articles. We do a ton of articles over there uh, every single day. And there's uh, there's so many that we don't get to them on the podcast. So uh, you don't want to miss something good. Hey, don't forget to come by the website and drop me a line in one of the comments section. Or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I always love to hear uh, what listeners think and, and get your feedback. Hey, with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.